0: Uh, This morning we are kicking off a new series Uh, we've entitled it Summer Stories as we really embrace God's desire to be in relationship with each and every one of us. See the, the the thing that you need to understand when you step into relationship with God is that your story matters. That each and every one of us has a story that that we have a unique journey that we have been on in life and it takes twists and turns and ups and downs and every way in between, but your story matters. Your story matters in the scope of eternity and your story matters to the people that God has surrounded you with. And so as we embrace our stories, as we embrace the testimonies of what God has done in each and every one of our lives or what God is desiring to do in our lives today, it's important that we understand that His power and His presence at work in our lives, can transform everything. See, God has always been about the story of the one. He's always been about the one. You're a one and I'm a one. And He chases after the one because you have value. Because He sees who He created. And He created you with a plan and a purpose. But it's easy for us to miss the importance of the one as we embrace the call of God to the Great Commission. We can remember in the, at the end of, of the, the book of Matthew when Jesus is, is preparing to ascend into heaven and He's getting ready to leave His disciples. And in Matthew 28, we, we know the, the Great Commission that, that Jesus gives His disciples to go into all the nations and to make disciples. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. See, through, throughout Jesus' ministry, He was always reaching to the One. But we often see the call of the Gospel as a mandate to somehow save the world. That, we've, that we're called to save everybody. Go and make disciples of all nations. I don't know about you, but there's been times in my life where I've looked at that and thought, that oh, just seems a little overwhelming. There's a lot of people. And I don't know how I'm, I'm, I'm called to save all of them. like to think that you know i'm saving the world a little bit at a time but it's 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 a challenging mandate but god's greatest desire is not that we would feel the pressure to save the world but instead that we like jesus would go after the one that we would chase after the one who's struggling who's hurting who is lost Jesus is often referred to in scripture as the good shepherd, which begs the question, what's our role in this whole plan to help seek and save the lost? If Jesus is the good shepherd, then what does that make us? I heard of the, the dad who took his daughters to church to learn more about Jesus, and he tells of his experience. He says, years ago when our daughters were very young, we dropped them off at our Church's children's church on Sunday before the service. One Sunday, just as I was about to open the door to the small chapel, the pastor came rushing up clearly in a hurry. He said he had an emergency and asked if I'd speak to the children at their story time. He said the subject was the 23rd Psalm. But just as I was about to get up from the back row and proceed to talk about the Good Shepherd, the pastor burst back into the room and signaled to me that he would be able to do the story time after all. He told the children about sheep. That they weren't smart, needed lots of guidance. And a shepherd's job was to stay close to the sheep. Protect them from wild animals and keep them from wandering off and, and doing dumb things that would get them hurt or killed. He pointed to the, the little children in the room and said that they were the sheep and needed lots of guidance. Then the minister put his hands out to the side palms up in a dramatic gesture and with raised eyebrows to the children said if you are the sheep then who is the shepherd he was pretty obviously indicating himself a silence of a few seconds followed and a young visitor child said well Jesus Jesus is the shepherd and the young pastor obviously caught by surprise said to the boy well well then who am I the little boy frowned thoughtfully and then said with a shrug, "Well, I, I, I guess you must be a sheepdog, <laughs> which probably isn't too far, too too far off. Or like, like you know, go around barking and biting each other and nipping at. Anyways, anybody ever had a sheepdog? We had a Sheltie. They have the herding instinct. They just run around you and try. it Anyways." But as we begin our conversation, I want to look at two parallel texts that most scholars believe were a depiction of the same, same parable. Because while we see Jesus through, throughout Scripture referred as the Good Shepherd, it can be hard for us to know what our role in Jesus' mission is. Are we just sheepdogs after all? So as we begin our, our conversation, we, we're going to look at the parable of the wandering sheep that is found in Matthew 18, verse 10. And then we're going to look at the parable of the lost sheep found in Luke 15, verse 1. So let's go to the text. If you have your Bibles, you can flip there with me. If you don't, you can jump on the YouVersion Bible app and you can search events and you will find Neighborhood Church listed there. All of our scriptures and notes are available for you. But let's look first at Matthew 18, starting in verse 10. Jesus says, See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. What do you think? If a a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go to look for that one that wandered off? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he's happier about the one sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. Let's flip over to Luke chapter 15. Starting in verse 1. It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the other teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners. And he eats with them. Then Jesus said, told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99, in the open country, and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we are so thankful. We are so thankful for your word, for the Bible that speaks to our hearts, Lord. It, it, it challenges us to think differently, to see the world through your eyes. And, and, and God, we are so thankful that you sent Jesus the Good Shepherd, to lay down His life for each and every one of us. That He would lay down His life for the sheep. That we would be welcomed into relationship when we come to a place of repentance. And so this morning, Lord, whether we find ourselves lost or wandering or just trying to understand Your purpose and plan for our lives, I I pray, Lord, that You would speak to our hearts and You'd change us as we spend time in your presence. God, we love you. We thank you for what you're doing. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. It's interesting these two passages of Scriptures are very similar. Most scholars believe they're the same parable being told in a different way. But if you do a little bit of digging, you can see similarities and differences. See, in, 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 in the brief read-through, the similarities between Luke's and Matthew's accounts are, are pretty striking. First, the, 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 both paths, passages have to do with a single sheep that's been separated from the flock of 100. In both cases, the, the shepherd leaves the majority behind to go search for the other sheep. And upon its recovery, there's cause for celebration. Celebration. It's also interesting that in both passages, Jesus explicitly offers the parable as a what-if. In Matthew, he says, if a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away. And in Luke's gospel, he says, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. He's painting a hypothetical picture. But a more attuned eye can note that both accounts have clear differences. And as we begin to identify them, I'm hopeful that we will better understand the importance of the differences. See, while the parable is found in both Matthew and Luke, the contexts are different, giving each a slightly different interpretation. In Luke, we find tax collectors and sinners described as lost sheep those who are lost, those who are struggling to find truth. In Matthew, we find that people who struggle with obedience and stumble into sin are described as wandering sheep. Those of us who know better but are choosing something else have wandered away from God's plan and purpose for our lives. And the audience is also a major difference. In Matthew, it appears like Jesus is speaking to his disciples as he's instructing them on life and community and in the church. Whereas in Luke's account, Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees and teachers of the law. He's speaking to the scholars, those who are wondering why he's hanging out with the people that he's hanging out with. It's also interesting that Jesus puts the Pharisees in the shoes of the owner of the hundred sheep in Luke's account. Well, in Matthew, he offers his disciples a hypothetical and then asks them what they think. There's some stark differences. So let's unpack the true essence of God's loving pursuit of each and every one of us because every one of us has found ourselves to be one of God's sheep, either wandering or just lost, struggling to find our path. Each and every one of us represents the story of the one. Each of us is in desperate need of the intervention of the good shepherd. So it's important that we understand that God's heart is to go after the one who is lost. God always goes after the one who is lost because he loves his sheep. He loves you and I. And He desires relationship. He desires communion. He desires togetherness. See, God's, God's heart and desire is, is that none would perish. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that He sent His one and only Son that whosoever believes in Him would not perish or be separated for eternity but, but receive eternal life. He welcomed into relationship. And Jesus' mission was was simple. It was to seek and to save the lost. We we see that in Luke chapter 19, verse 10. So if, if God's desire is that none would perish and Jesus came to seek and save the lost, wouldn't we think that the lost are kind of important to God? Would you agree with that? One person agrees that God is about the lost. Fantastic. See, the, the parable in Luke reveals God's heart for lost sinners. Let's, let's read it again. Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 3. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country? Go after the lost sheep until he finds it. And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. See, God is all about the lost. And when he finds them, it's not kind of like, hey, sheepy, sheepy, sheep. Come here. Come on. No, he picks them up. He dusts them off. He puts them on his shoulders away from all the harm and the danger and takes them home. And the celebration ensues. See, the Pharisees totally excluded and refused to associate with certain groups of people. And these were the very people that Jesus was hanging out with when this parable was told. Jesus was hanging out with the tax collectors and the sinners, the people that, we, that they were not supposed to be with. In Jewish culture, you didn't hang out with those people because you'd be made unholy or unclean. And so the judgment's already happening of, of who Jesus is associating with. And he's saying, this is, these are the ones that my Father has sent me to save. See, Jesus cared about everyone. Without exception. He cared about everyone. We look and we go, oh, people are lost. Well, you know, just, it's their lot in life. Hope they can figure it out. I'll pray for them. But no, Jesus went after the lost. In Luke the parable is, is listed with a series of other parables about losing things. There's the parable of the lost coin and 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 more notably the, the parable of the lost son also known as the prodigal. See Jesus was all about that that which was lost and is now found. Luke is a, is a gospel written to a, a predominantly gentile audience most scholars believe. But perhaps the lost sheep in this parable are referring to the Gentiles who themselves are lost and are struggling to find truth and struggling to find something worth pursuing. Struggling to understand who Jesus is. So how is it that God is calling each of us to love and care for people? Because this isn't just a story about Jesus pursuing, but we've been called to go after the lost. As those who are followers of Jesus, at home, at church, at work, John 13:34 says, a, "Jesus says, "A new command I give you: love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If, what? You love one another." Does Jesus just like to repeat himself? Love one another. Hey, love one another. Hey, why don't you love one another? No, he's making a point. That not only have we been called to love one another, but Jesus loved us first. So if we call ourselves followers of Jesus, we should do the same thing. And then guess what? He puts the burden on us. See, Jesus commands his disciples to reflect his love and the way that they served one another. And he put them on notice that the world would judge them for the way that they loved one another. The world would see the genuineness of their Christianity or their decision to follow Jesus by the way they served, by the way they loved. See, people who don't know Jesus are literally watching those of us who know Him and who claim to follow Him. See, if you are a follower of Jesus, but you don't love people the way that Jesus did, the way I read that is, you're not my disciple. You're not my follower. That's that's tough. Because it puts a burden on us to love people selflessly. Jesus loved unto death. He gave up everything for you and I. See, people are watching the way we treat each other as a true indication of the genuine nature of our faith. Are we faithful to God's call to love people? And the crazy part is what they see in us is the truest example of whether or not we're going to love them. The way we love one another in the church, the way we serve one another in the church, is the clearest indication to the world of whether or not we're, we're what we say we are. And I'm just telling you, the last two years in the church, it ain't been pretty. People have been arguing about crazy stuff. You do this and you do that, and and you believe this and you believe that, and you should wear this on your face or not wear this on your face, and better da da and we've lost our ever loving minds. And the world is watching going, Ah, I don't really have a problem with Jesus. I don't know if I want to be a part of that. See, God has called us to love. Not with exceptions and conditions and well, if you do this and you say the right thing, and you know, then we can we can hang out and we can be friends and I'll love you. No. Love. While we were still sinners, that was when Christ died. That was the kind of love that Jesus showed. And the world is watching. And what is is the result when when the lost become found? See, the Bible says there is great joy in, in heaven over each sinner who repents. Everyone who makes the decision to follow Jesus with their whole heart. So are there people in your neighborhood that you've never thought to invite over for a meal? Are there people in your sphere of influence at work who you've never thought to have relationship with, but God has placed them right in front of you? Because they may be lost. See, Jesus treasures them. And He wants us in the Christian community to value them too. He wants us to to look outside the walls of our church and say, these people are worth pursuing. The most exciting times should be when a lost soul is found. There's celebration. See, what Jesus is saying is that 99 is not enough. Are you hearing that? 99 is not enough. We need that one more. We need to go after that one who's lost. Because in God's economy, that person is worth it. You were worth it. I was worth it. So who is the one in your life, in your neighborhood, at your workplace, at your school, who is lost and in need of Jesus' love? That should be what what we think about, what we pray about, what we, what we strive for. Because God's heart is to go after the one who's lost. And God's heart is to chase after the one who has wandered away. It's simple. God's heart is for the lost and God's heart is for the one who has wandered. God also desires to go after those of us who've wandered or strayed from their faith in in Jesus. Jesus speaks of those who've wandered in the parable of the prodigal in Luke 15. The prodigals, many of us who've chased after our own desires and ambitions. I don't know about you, but I was a prodigal. There were seasons in my life where I, I ran after stuff that had nothing to do with God's plan or purpose for my life. I found myself frustrated and in destructive places and doing destructive things hurting myself and hurting other people see the parable in matthew re- reveals god's care for stumbling believers let's let's read let's read it again matthew 18 starting in verse 10 see that you do not despise one of these little ones why is jesus talking about little ones it comes up time and again in this, in this passage of Scripture in, in Matthew 18. He says in verse 2, He called a little child to Him and placed the child among them. And He said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Why is He talking about little ones? The, the, the belief is that, that Jesus was using a child because children were just brushed aside in society. They really didn't have any value because they, were not, they had not come of age. And the ambitious, the scholars and the teachers of the law, those who, who fancied themselves so important, would go after their ambitions and not worry about the kids, not worry about the little ones, worry about the children because they were chasing their ambition. And so Jesus uses these little ones. And as followers of Jesus, we can get distracted and lose interest or struggle with commitment or, or be worn down by tragedy and pain. We can find ourselves in these very challenging and difficult places in life that cause us to begin to drift, that cause us be, to begin to move away from what God has desired for our lives. But we're called to nurture all who are in the church and to follow up with any who leave. Do you understand there's people who are wandering and, and drifting, even in our own community? Not only should we open the front doors of our church wider to those who are lost, but we have to take care not to lose people out the back door, not to let people drift away or, or wander or, or disappear without being checked in on, without being loved, without being pursued. And we also have to be really careful to, to live in harmony and unity, not causing another believer to stumble or wander off. Do you realize sometimes we get so kind of caught up in living our lives that we kind of puff up our chests and we're like, well, I'm just going to live however I want to live. And you, you know if, if that infringes on you as a believer, that makes you stumble. Well, I guess that's your issue. And we may not say that out loud, but we live that way. I'm going to live my life. I'm going to serve God. And you've got to figure it out for yourself. And we don't maybe think about what it means to put a stumbling block in somebody's place. But look at Matthew 18, verse 6. If we peel back a few verses from our main text, this is what it says. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, To stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to stumble. Such things must come. But woe to the person through whom they come. If we call ourselves followers of Jesus and we're living our lives in such a way that we place stumbling blocks in front of other believers who are wandering or struggling, the Scripture says, whoa. I don't know what "woe" means, but I think it just means whoa. Like you probably should pay attention because this isn't going to be good. I mean, look at that. It would be better to have a large millstone hung around, the ne- around your neck and be drowned in the sea. That would be better for you than to put a stumbling block in somebody's life. This is serious. Because it's people's eternity. See, God's greatest desire is that we would love and serve people outside the church. But we would also be diligent to go after those in the church who have wandered. Who are away, who haven't seen? You ever seen that bumper bumper sticker? "All who wander are not lost? Nobody. Okay, I saw the bumper sticker. It says, "All who wander are not lost." I think it has something to do with people who like to go hike, I don't know, outdoorsy people. I don't really associate with those people, so. But there's this mentality of you can wander and not be lost. But what is the spiritual reality of that? While we may not be lost when we stray from God's plan, we will most definitely experience heartache. We we will squander valuable time, energy, resources, and we'll ultimately find ourselves investing in temporary pleasures and pursuits that are here today and then they're gone tomorrow. As did the prodigal son. When we, when we hear the, the story of the parable of the prodigal, it's, it's the son who says, Dad, I'm, I'm of age. I want my inheritance. I want what's mine. And I'm going to go and make my way in the world. And so the loving father entrusts his inheritance to his son. The story is very plain and clear. He goes and parties everything away. Lives lavishly. Throws money around like it's nothing. And then finds himself in poverty. There's a gentleman by the name of Tom Tenney and he he writes in his book The God Chasers about his observation of the prodigal son. He, He writes this. Ironically, it was the father's blessing that actually financed the prodigal son's trip away from the father's face. And it was the son's new revelation of his poverty of heart that propelled him back into his father's arms. Sometimes, we use the very blessings that god gives us to finance our journey away from the centrality of christ it's very important that we return back to ground zero to the ultimate eternal goal of abiding with the father's intimate with the father's in intimate communion see god's desire is relationship he's desi- he's desiring communion he's desiring intimacy And all too often we take what he entrusts to us and we pursue our own desires and dreams. And we should be about those who have wandered, who have taken their inheritance and wandered off. We should be committed to lovingly going after those who have wandered. James 5.19 says, My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death, cover a multitude of sins. We are literally saving people from eternal death. There is a heaven to gain and a, a hell to shun. And you may say, I don't believe in, in heaven and hell. Okay. That's fine. But the reality is we will spend eternity somewhere. And God's greatest desire is that none would perish. None would be separated from His presence. None would be separated from His love. You matter. Your story matters. So who is God placing on your heart? Who is that that may have wandered? Who in your friend circle? Who in, in, in your sphere of influence is God placing on your heart? Are they worth going after? Because in God's economy they are. Is it worth leaving the safety of the 99? See, we don't like to, 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 to leave the, the safety of the comfort of the of the pack. We get comfortable in our Christian community. But, but God is calling us outside our circles, outside the walls of the church. It was amazing yesterday. We had our men's breakfast, and after that we went out and spent some time canvassing our neighborhood in preparation for our, our serve day in August where we're going to go out and just serve our neighbors. And as we would knock, knock on people's doors and they'd open their door and they'd kind of look at us, you know, we'd have to say something like, hey, we're not selling solar panels, don't worry. You know, you know, we're not those guys. Nobody got the solar panel guys, they came to our house. All right. But we we, would say, hey, we're just from Neighborhood Church, we're just down the way, and, and, and we just wanted to come out and see how we could serve you. Well, what do you mean? Do you have any projects around the house that you need done that you haven't been able to get to, or things that you just feel like have been kind of, busted and broken and, and you need help fixing oh yeah look we've got this yeah awesome well we'll be out on the 28th we'd love to help you with that well how much is it going to cost it's not going to cost you anything we just want to we just want to be a help we don't we want to serve and you, you'd see the look on people's faces like wait what's the catch there's no catch and that's the love of God there is no catch You matter that much to God. That he would leave the 99 and go after the one. Whether you're wandering, whether you're lost. So who's the one who's wandered off? The the face that you haven't seen at church for three to six months. The person who usually sits a couple seats to your right or to your left. The the person who sits a couple rows in front of you and you greet during the, the, the awkward greeting time. Where you're like, hey, how's it going? Who is that person that you haven't seen or haven't interacted with? The life of the one worth leaving the safety of the sheep pen to bring back. Who's that one? See, when we we think of of Jesus as the Good Shepherd as we prepare to close this morning, we often get a picture in our minds of, of who I like to call the GQ Jesus. Right? The GQ Jesus, this is a picture of the GQ Jesus. We, we usually kind of get the, the idea of the Good Shepherd as Jesus with the flowing white robe and the red sash, because, you know, it's Jesus. Um, and then he's usually holding a, a, a lamb, or he's got it draped over his shoulders very, very sweetly, and he's got perfect flowing, flowing locks and a, and a beautifully manicured beard. We think of the GQ Jesus, Right? We had a GQ Jesus when we were over at Oak Creek. And Kelly and I served alongside one another. And we had the GQ Jesus painting. And it was that. It was Jesus with the sheep. Kind of just. And we liked to hide GQ Jesus all over the church. And so you'd walk into your office. Boom. There's GQ Jesus. It was awesome. I don't know where GQ Jesus is now. But, but this is the image we often get in our minds but I tend to visualize Jesus more as the shepherd who's going after the lost and beat up sheep. The one who's going into that uncertain place where we're that sheep that's, that's wandered off, that is, that is lost, that is, is caught up, that is stuck, that is beaten up and bruised and cut and can't get ourselves out of our situation. It's not pretty, it's not feel good. It's desperate. But Jesus, he finds us in our mess. He he finds us in our bondage. He finds us in the midst of our addiction and he says, you are worth it. I'm coming after you. And when I find you, I'm going to pick you up and I'm going to put you on my shoulders and I'm going to take you home to safety because I love you that much. He's willing to meet us where we are. And here's the important part no matter how we got there. Henry Nowen is an author. He he says this well in his book, The Return of the Prodigal Son. He says, For most of my life, I've struggled to find God, to know God, to, to love God. I've tried hard to follow the guidelines of the spiritual life, pray always, work for others, read the scriptures, and to avoid the many temptations to dissipate myself. I've failed many times, but always tried again, even when I was close to despair. Now I wonder whether I've sufficiently realized that during all this time, God has been trying to find me, to know me, and to love me. The question is not how am I to find God, but how am I to let myself be found by Him? The question is not how how am I to know God, but how am I to let myself be known by God? And finally, the question is not how am I to love God, but how am I to let myself be loved by God? God is looking into the distance for me trying to find me, and longing to bring me home. Would you stand to your feet this morning? Father, we thank you that you are pursuing us, that you are chasing after us, that you are going after us, desiring to find us, whether we're lost or whether we're wandering. You are the good shepherd who leaves the 99 to chase after us. Because our lives, our stories, we matter to you. Father, we thank you for being willing to go after us, Lord. You're calling to each and every one of us, whether we're lost or wandering, or have relationship with those who find themselves in those places. Your loving voice, the voice of the Good Shepherd, is calling, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest.